morning, everyone. Glad to, uh, glad to have you guys here. So we are in Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, Dad finished up um, chapter 2 last week, and uh, we will pick up uh, a couple of verses there. The big themes of, of Hebrews have, um, have shown early, and that is uh, the connection with faith in Jesus, with the historic faith of, of God and his work through the law and from uh, all of the covenants on down, uh, that, that faith in Christ is a, is a culmination of, of all that God had done. So that's one big theme, that's, that this is um, truly the fulfillment of what God had in mind all along. So it's not something new, it's just a, a natural progression of, of where God was wanting to go all along. Uh, and then the other big theme, of course, was uh, that uh, Jesus, um, in, in all of his roles uh, as Savior, as King, as Priest, uh, all of those roles, um, he's better than anything that's come before. And those comparisons are going to continue uh, uh, today, uh, just like uh, we left off uh, in Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, the latter part of chapter 2, beginning with uh, verse 14, uh, we have uh, Jesus as, as our high priest who also was our sacrifice. And uh, just reading in verse 14, because it, it does carry on to, to chapter 3, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And we'll go on in a minute. So we just, we, we heard the uh, some of the details of what it was to be our high priest in that last part of chapter 2 and then we have the next chapter um, uh, continuing this thought and encouraging us to con- to consider Jesus in at least a couple of roles that of apostle and of high priest now as we look at chapter 3 and we'll try to go through the whole uh, chapter uh, uh, today, there are kind of two big divisions from uh, verses one through six, where we we're going to hear about uh, the comparison of Jesus and Moses, uh, and you see the pattern here. You can guess one's going to be lesser, one's going to be greater. So we have that going again, and then we also have, as we've seen, um, a word of of exhortation, a word of um, calling us perhaps to a decision or certainly calling us to uh, get serious with our faith this this uh, back and forth as we talked about a few weeks ago 
between we're going to look at some scripture and then we're going to apply it. Uh, this this um, uh, very pastor preacher way of talking to his people. And so uh, verses 7 through uh, the end of the chapter are going to be about, uh, you know, taking seriously the commitment that we've made, taking seriously the uh, connection that we have uh, as part of this newfound faith. So, um, so back, to, uh, back to verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our faith. And it's worth spending just a, a moment on this, uh, this word, consider Jesus. Uh, the NIV, I think, uh, gets to a, um, uh, a kind of ups the ante a little bit. Consider Jesus. It says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. So we're called to do something uh, actively um, to really, just what it says, consider Jesus. So you can hear this pastor, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in the trappings of our faith, right? We can get really bogged down in mundane things. Um, for them, it was probably things like, well, does this mean I still need to keep the Sabbath? Does this mean I still need to go to temple? Does this mean what Rabbi so-and-so says doesn't have any weight anymore? Uh, does this mean I can dress differently if I want to? Uh, they were probably grappling with a lot of these details uh, coming out of the primary Jewish faith. Nowadays, we might be thinking about a lot of things. You know, do uh, you know? Is it okay that we don't meet on Sunday night? Uh, uh, what about Wednesdays? You know, if churches that have uh, uh, worship on Saturday night, does that count? You know, <laughs> um, you know that we can get bogged down with a lot of these things. You know, so and so really made me mad at our committee meeting the other day and I just don't think that's the way we ought to be. You know, so if you think about all of those things, they kind of all get into perspective when you consider Jesus, when you fix your eyes on Jesus. All that other stuff doesn't really make much sense anymore, or at least the importance is reestablished you know the priorities are, are back on track not that it's wrong or, or and it's sometimes very necessary to having those conversations in fact the Bible has a lot to say about how churches are organized uh, I'm certainly not going to minimize that but they all need to be in their proper perspective and Hebrews was written to people who were trying to sort it all out and so this is just not only theologically correct but but certainly practically correct consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus is called an apostle so what does apostle mean you guys probably know this someone who is sent called to give this message and of course you know Paul often called himself an apostle uh, because he received that calling to deliver the gospel. So much more Jesus was certainly 
um, called by God to humble himself and to to literally be the gospel for us. So uh, if you haven't thought of Jesus and his role as apostle, certainly that title fits. And then, of course, again, uh, our high priest. And we won't talk too much about that role right now because there, there are going to be multiple opportunities to talk about the concept of high priest going forward, but uh, certainly one who makes intercession for us, who was involved with that amazing transaction of sacrifice for us. Um, that is the one that we're talking about. Verse 2, who was faithful to him, that is Jesus was faithful to him, that is God, who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. So here we have this comparison with Moses who was considered to be the epitome of everything that that the old covenant had to say. It all came through Moses. Verse 3, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Moses was great. Moses was faithful. Moses was used by God. Moses, though, was, what's it say? A servant. Definitely proper commendation and recognition of what Moses did. But he did it as a servant. A servant to the house that God was building. Where it says Jesus came... Number one, as builder of the house, so a difference in roles, but also he came as son, not servant. So much greater. So much greater. And then, of course, you don't have to work too hard to put two and two together to see that this is a clear statement of the divinity of Jesus. You know, it said all things were built by God, and then it says, you know, Jesus was the builder of this house. Um, certainly Jesus is God. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Fix your eyes. Consider Jesus, because everything else about church flows from him. So, in this whole architectural example here who is the house what is the house we are is definitely the answer that's that's what scripture says and we are his house Um, and he's talking to believers we are his house Uh, that's we are who Jesus is building. We are who ultimately Moses was serving in his role to point us to Jesus. Uh, that's where we are. But then we've got this latter part of verse 6 
as they say, 6B. You know, sometimes they'll say the first phrasing of a verse, they call it A, and the second they call it B. So if you looked up in a commentary, um, this would be 6B, the separate sentence here, where things get a little interesting. And we are his house if, indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So all this um, greatness about being part of God's house and Jesus being our builder and uh, the son and authority over us. Now we got this little two-letter conditional word, if. And so what, is, what do we do with that? We're in his house if, indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. It's a conditional phrase. In our introductory um, uh, days um, of Hebrews, uh, Dad and I both referred to the fact that we're going to come across some statements in Hebrews that we have to wrestle with. Here's one here, and there, we're going to come to another one in a few minutes, so we'll talk about them both together. But it, it, it makes you think, okay, well, what's this if? What's, what's at jeopardy here? What's, what's the condition about? So we'll, we'll get there in a moment. The preacher goes to his text now in verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Do you guys know what this is referring to? Anybody? So he's talking about the people that had been called out of Egypt, led by Moses, and they came to this point where they, they were, were not following, and we won't go into the whole history of it, but God said, no. Uh, we're, you're, not gonna, you're, you're just not going to make it to the promised land. You've gone too far. And he, he says, they always go astray in their heart. He was provoked with them and so forth. So here we have this, um, this reference by the writer of Hebrews to this psalm. And with that kind of a concept, okay, here, was God, here, here were some people chosen by God. They were rescued. They were taken out of Egypt. They had Moses as their leader, but yet there came a point where God's, you know, I've got to draw the line right here. Uh, you're not going forward. He's going to apply that now, verse 12. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, 
leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Another conditional statement, another two-letter hurdle, another if. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So, as, as many of you probably know, um, within kind of Protestant evangelical circles, you know, the, the, the tribe that we are in as far as um, denominations and so forth, uh, there are um, uh, kind of two big camps. Um, with, without having lots of labels, there are uh, some camps who believe you can, quote, lose your salvation. There are some camps who say that you can't. Um, there are some that, that um, well, let me just say, it's hard to be in either camp without coming across some scriptures that you struggle with. Okay? So, for those of you that that uh, see some uh, like some of the things of, from both um, uh, I'm, I'm all for being a little inconsistent when it seems consistent with who God is um, the, as dad has alluded to you know a lot of these systems for understanding theology they're helpful but they're not the gospel there are lots of analogies that we use in our teaching, but every analogy eventually breaks down, and you leave the analogy where it is. You take from it what you can, but you know that it, it was just a, a tool to give you a little understanding. Um, the same is true with these big systems of, of thinking. In any event, um, we always want to let Scripture shed light on Scripture. So as Pastor Stedman, uh, who Dad has been quoting significantly, uh, puts in one of his, um, his sermons, he says, well, let me get this quote. He says, now the writer declares that we are, it, we are that house if. At this point, he interjects the little word if. We are his house if we hold fast our confidence and our hope. And for we share in Christ, if only we hold our first confidence firm to the end. He says, now a cloud passes over the sun. The possibility is raised of being self-deceived in this matter, of belonging to Christ, of being in his house, and it all hangs upon the word of certainty, if. He said, well, what does this mean? 
And he said that there are two views that are usually taken. He said there is that view which says we can enter the house of God, become part of it, that Christ can come to dwell in our hearts and that we can be the tabernacle of the Most High. And then later on, because we fail to lay hold of all that God gives us and we sin, we lose all that we have gained. Christ leaves us and we lose our salvation. Okay? So, like I was saying before, there are people who say you can be fully Christian and then because of your own actions, not be. He says, but there's another possible meaning. And he's talking specifically here with respect to this passage. He said there's another possible meaning here which suggests that once having professed to receive the Lord Jesus, once having him come in, if then we do not manifest signs of new life, if nothing happens to our behavior as a result of this, then we've simply been self-deceived. We deceived ourselves. We may have made a profession of some sort. We might have been baptized. But there was no evidence of God in us. There was no evidence of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, There was no holding on to the truths that we perhaps briefly professed to hold to. Um, There was no... the, the, The reality of a saving faith, a transformative faith, just was never there. This is different from the person who knows going in that they're not Christian. The person who says, well, I'm going to join the church because, you know, I, I know it's good in this community for business. I need to be a part of a church somewhere. So I'm going to say whatever I need to do. I'll get signed up and that'll be that. This is not talking about that person. This is talking about a person who was so close. But that full yielding to the Holy Spirit's call was just, it just wasn't there. What Pastor Stedman is saying is that there is no coming to Christ, being part of his family, Christ in you, the Holy Spirit in you. There is no... um, change that can happen after that but he's recognizing that especially from the outside none of us can accurately make a judgment on someone um, because they don't know what really transpired between them and God. Now, can we see fruit? Absolutely. Can we, can we, our, um, you know, can we ultimately be very sure? You know, am I pretty sure that Paul was a Christian? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm there on him. You know, um, and I'm not saying it's that hard. I'm kind of being a little extreme here, but, um, the whole point 
of the pastor is that he's saying this is not something to be casual about. This is a gut check for everyone to say, am I being serious about this? Am I holding on to those things that I originally professed? Am I, am I being faithful? And, is, and the other kind of the flip side of that is um, our own confidence our own faith, so to speak, in the decision that we made, our own security, you might say, is enhanced as we continue to be faithful and continue to stay engaged with our Savior as we continue to fix on Jesus. The people who, quote, doubt their salvation aren't the people who are walking with Jesus who are reading their Bible and have the Holy Spirit speak to them, and they're not the people who are praying and 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 hearing God answer those prayers, and and having that's not, those aren't the people that struggle with doubt. I don't know any Christian who has never not had that. I think that's certainly a tactic that the devil uses to to weaken us. So there's always a, a whisper there probably for all of us. But I think the, the point is is that uh, in some ways the pastor is, is calling people to get serious because he knows there are some people that are maybe waffling on their decision and the, maybe the pastor isn't sure that their profession was true. Not seeing any evidence of of the fruit of the spirit um, so there's that but then the other part of it is the pastor wants them to get serious so that they can receive the benefits of being in God's house so that their confidence can be strengthened the Holy Spirit is is going to be wanting to prepare the church because persecution's coming the, the church that he's writing to this is as good as it's going to get for them the times are as, are as calm and peaceful based on when we think this was written. It's, as, it's literally as good as it's going to get. So if they're not going to get serious with Jesus now, when persecution comes, it's not, it's not going to get any easier. They're gonna, it's going to put them to the test. I mean, certainly we know that there were martyrs who, in this, in this era by, uh, in, in large numbers. So there are a lot of motivations, I think, for why the, the uh, preacher is, is getting as serious here. Let's go ahead and finish. It says in verse 15, As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? and with whom he was provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. If you had any doubts about where the 
pastor's understanding was about the theology of salvation, he clears it up right there. They were unable to enter because of their unbelief. How do we become part of God's family? Because of belief. You know, the Holy Spirit and the mystery of it all actually gives us faith to believe, right? For by grace are we saved through faith and even that not of ourselves, as Ephesians tells us. We're given that believing faith. We act on it to the degree that that we can and it's because of belief that we're there. So the people that aren't Christians aren't Christians simply because their belief was not there. And again, if this seems all really simple to you, then I've really messed it up. Uh, because it's, um, it, it's, it's not. Um, it's, at least it's not easy for me. Um, tough, tough passages. Um, how is it that we can have it both ways? How is it that we can be totally secure of our salvation but then grapple with the fact that we still need to stay engaged. We still need to have proof of that. We still need to maintain our confidence in what happened. It's hard to fully reconcile. Um, but, I, th- you know, uh, from a pastor's point of view, if he's looking out to a, con- a congregation that he assumes most are believers, and he looks out there and he sees some that yeah, I know we baptized him a couple months ago, and I know he said he believed in Jesus, but I'm just not seeing it. I, I'm, I just wondered, you know, was he was this for real? You know, did did he just do it because his wife was pestering him so much? You know, what? I you know I don't know what was going through the pastor's heart. I don't know all the motivation practically there obviously this came to us through the Holy Spirit we have to rap, uh, grapple with it wrestle with it um, and it must be important because we're going to come across stuff like this again just something to look forward to um, I think this is a word of warning to people who are casual, perhaps overly casual, with Jesus. Um, you can dilute the gospel so much that you take some of the seriousness out of it. And I think this is a call not to go too far. Um, okay. Anything else? Anything you need to fix this week rather than next week? (laughs) (coughs) We'll look at it. (laughs) All right, great. This is great. Ken. Many years ago, our pastor, not here, but in Nebraska, uh, speaking on a very similar topic, and he said that, as his concluding remark was, we are secure in our salvation. But 
there is no security in sin. And that stuck with me. I like that. But I'm sure that he was using these same scripture passages for that sermon. We are secure in our salvation, but there is no security in sin. I like that. Um, the person who goes on sinning, you have to wonder, you know, if you look back, verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Um, one of the folks I read this week said, um, At the heart of a matter, the problem is usually the heart. Um, this section in verse 12, it talks about unbelief. And at the end, it talks about they were uninjured, unable to enter because of unbelief. I think that's the crux of the matter. Where are you putting your faith? Are you putting your faith in a decision you made when you were 13 and all of your buddies were going down to the altar and you kind of felt compelled to do that too? Are you putting your faith on the Holy Spirit walking with you daily and getting in the Word regularly and one has much more confidence than the other and, and if if not much has happened since you were 13 then this is the kind of chapter that you have to come to grips with I feel that category I, I know as a teenager I walked the aisle because I was afraid of going to hell not because I was excited about going to heaven and so it makes a difference what that walk has been like. You know, so. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for so many things. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that continues to encourage us and grow us both in our faith and in our confidence and in the ongoing desire to get to know Jesus. Father, we thank you for your provision for, for salvation. We thank you for your son. We're so thankful to be part of each other in the sense that we are his house. We thank you for Hebrews and the writer, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would clarify all these tough sayings um, and uh, certainly clarify uh, our uh, crude efforts to, uh, to uh, talk about them. Uh, again, uh, continue to bring us to yourself and to, to grow us more and more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.